1: Hello and welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that sings the praises of one of the world's greatest animation studios, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leder.
2: And I'm Steph Watts, and we've heard the lot of them.
1: And after four years of waiting, I'm Jake Cunningham, and so have I. (laughs) So join us in our musical quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Jake, Steph, welcome back. Jake, you did say there's been a wait. It has been a while since we've been all on the microphone, though, together, hasn't it?
0: Well, puff and Rock, wasn't it? Maybe not three Good, uh, years. One of the best films of the year.
1: Three months, maybe. <laughs> yeah.
0: But it's nice to be back. Uh, and what a moment to come back to. It does feel like a, a perfect moment to re-commune, because it was, of course, a great moment of commune that brought us together last week as well, uh, which was the Joe Hisaishi concert at Wembley, I think, first put on our radar at the back end of
1: 2019. Yes. Uh going back and looking at emails about this, we were yeah, the last email was like February 2020, and then suddenly <laughs> there was silence. Because yes, this was the the symphonic tour that so many people were excited about and then something happened Um, in 2020 that meant that it was delayed. How many times was it delayed in the end? Was it three times, Steph? Two times?
2: I I think I've lost count. I think maybe (laughs) twice?
1: Because it was delayed. And then
0: rescheduled for COVID.
2: Yeah.
1: Because he had COVID for one of them. Yes. Joe Hisayoshi, poor guy. But then it was just delayed because of just general travel problems because of the global shutdown around the pandemic. And yeah... I don't I, I can't think of you know a, a, another another instance where there's been such a delay where when you finally get to go to a concert you you're you're immediately reflective about the person you were <laughs> however many years before the things that have changed in those years where you are now where you were then so already for what was a going to be an emotional night with Joe Hisaishi, with an orchestra playing through the bangers and the hits of the Studio Ghibli or Hayao Miyazaki catalogue, it was already going to be an emotional night, but then there was an extra existential weight of finally doing this and um, saluting your 2019 slash 2020 self in the process.
0: Well, yeah, because when we first heard about this, I think we would have just come back from Japan. So at Mm -hmm. that point, we hadn't even done any podcasts that were beyond Studio Ghibli. (laughs) Like, we were still firmly a a Ghibli
1: podcast. That's mad. And in in sort of time-honoured Twitter meme fashion, you could probably go through the many things that have happened in the time that we've been waiting for this concert Thing, businesses that have gone out so Wilco's gone out of business um, yeah. an Avatar Quib- sequel Quibi has been remains released fantastic. finally <laughs> and the Witch was released um, all these things it was so let's try and think back to where we were circa 2019 2020 we knew that Joe was coming to town we knew that this music was going to be performed on such a scale what were we hoping for what we? I mean, I know, I know. I'm. I don't know if I'm fully in the minority here, but I know Jake. You are much more invested on the music side n- than I am. Um, I've heard you talk about this many times about how uh, you've got a great line, haven't you? About how, in some ways, the music is a greater part of your life per minute than the films because yeah. you've listened to yeah, it yeah, so yeah. much.
0: Absolutely. I like. I would hazard a guess and say that I, that number is tenfold the amount <laughs> of time that I've. Sp- the amount of time I've spent with Ghibli's music and majority of the time Joe Hisaishi's music is that much more than the time I've spent with Ghibli's films because like and especially during the pandemic once it went up on Spotify and all of a sudden you could just you could have a whole day at home and the only thing that you listen to are these albums and I'm going through a big patch of that right now as well um, and and It is a funny one, where if the concert had been at its original time for 2020, I wouldn't have had those years spending more time with the music. So, of course, there is the delayed gratification of just the event being delayed and finally getting there. But the reward of of being able to see that music that I've subsequently spent that much more time with made it incredibly impactful and quite stirring and emotional. And as you say, Michael, it's not just that connection with the music. You're already kind of walking back in time when you hear it so, and imagining the concert that might've been and the concert that we ended up with.
1: So, you've just touched on something there that I hadn't actually thought of before. So if we would have seen this in 2020, you would have only been 18 months at most into your Ghibli journey. Mm. Exactly. So now, so it's a difference between almost seeing a band on their first album tour, <laughs> and, and visiting and one Joe of Joe <laughs> and revisiting one of your all-time favourites and greats.
0: Uh, it making me think of um, like James Murphy doing, doing some kind of lineup for this. In, I was there when Joe Hisaishi first uh, put
1: on his Wembley concert.
0: I was there three years later when it finally happened. <laughs>
1: I, I love how niche that reference is <laughs> to the <laughs> LCD sound system fans out there. Um, Steph, you, were you you must have been hyped for this. Were you hyped for seeing Joe in concert?
2: I think this has just been pushed back so often that it just came up on me. And I don't remember like being aware of it in 2019. I think I've just... It raised like two years of memories from my brain. Um, because yeah, I fully don't remember this even coming up until like last year when we got tickets when it got rescheduled. Um so this yeah, this has been an interesting one where I think like Jake, throughout the pandemic I listened to more of the music, um, invested in a couple of nice Ghibli vinyls. Mm. um so they're kind of on while i'm working quite a lot um and i think overall i appreciated it more because i was looking forward to certain pieces and films kind of popping up um than if we'd gone in 2020 um where it probably would have just washed over me in a in a different way um so yeah excited about two days in the lead up when I realised it was finally happening and could actually get excited for it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a strange one.
1: It is. Well, and even though I characterise myself as being more of the films than the music, the music has always been an important part of it. In my sort of long Ghibli journey, my friend Nick, who was one of, was very much there from the beginning of the journey, he had seen Castle in the Sky before I even knew what Ghibli was and he, before he even really knew how deep the rabbit hole went. And he was obsessed with the soundtrack. And he had the symphonic soundtrack and the synthesizer soundtrack for Castle in the Sky. And we were obsessed with certain um, motifs from the synthesizer score. The tiger moth motif in Mm. particular is one that we still talk to each other about now and then. I remember when he went out to Japan, I think it must have been after university, he went to the museum and came back with a case full of Ghibli stuff. He mostly came back with piano sheet music as well because he was really into, really, really into the music. So it was quite special for me to actually bump into him before the concert as it started. But So it's always been there for me, and I think that's another thing, really, that they probably couldn't have really um, predicted, because, of course, this tour had been going on for some time before that. We'd seen video clips. Uh, we've seen Joe and the rapturous applause that he um, receives on this tour. We have friends who've seen these concerts in Prague and elsewhere. So they're nothing new, but I'm sure in this gap between this hiatus, the Ghibli films being on Netflix, the scores being more available via Spotify can only help create that love, that, um, familiarity that on a scale that they, they couldn't have had previously. So this all leads up to, as we record last Friday night, um, You say it's at Wembley, Jake. Um, It's confusing. There are two Wembley venues right next to each other, right at the same tube station. And the previous gig I'd been to in the area was at Wembley Stadium, as in the famous football stadium. So electric light orchestra there a few years ago. In fact, with Nick, the guy I just mentioned, Uh, possibly the most Alan Partridge. you, You
0: were there recently as well, weren't you?
2: I was there very recently at Wembley Stadium for the All Elite Wrestling All-In largest wrestling event (laughs) I think the UK has ever had. So um, yeah, in the past month, I've been to Wembley to see a guy get kebab skewers stuck in his head and to see Joe Hoseishi. It's been a wild time for me visiting Wembley.
1: (laughs) So here's a question, which had the most passionate crowd of the two? (laughs) Do oh wrestling think?
2: 100%. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but this is Wembley Arena which is next door which is a little smaller but it still holds what 12,000 people. And you get off the tube and you sort of are funneled towards these venues. Weeks uh, of Wembley foolishly... Way Michael, you walk up Wembley Way. Sorry with the lined with statues of champions <laughs> as as Thank you approach. You. Um we foolishly thought we might bump into each other beforehand, but then you realise that you're also in the scrum of 11,000 people, and even when you once you go through and the no box, no one can office. get any
0: phone reception.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's set that scene. I saw some people in cosplay, but maybe less than I expected. I don't know. It was a pretty, pretty um, classy crowd, from what I could see. Um,
0: yeah, well, I mean, much love to Joe, but this was not a cheap ticket, um, and so I think maybe it was a Friday night. People were wearing their their fancy Totoro T-shirts,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, Did... it was it was very lovely to um, just walk walk in among that crowd. And I've done that Wembley Way walk where I've been wearing football shirts, and you're with you, you're, a, you're a kin of yours, I suppose. Uh, and you're you're walking up to the arch or to the arena and I did kind of have that feeling because it is like I can't escape feeling like a football fan when I walk there but then getting there and seeing all the t-shirts and like to me they suddenly just turned into football kits and it was just like okay right oh that's the away kit from 2003 (laughs) and that but imagine that's a a no face t-shirt or a Totoro t-shirt and uh, it it just suddenly felt like that, that warmth that I get when I go to a game as well, where you suddenly feel like everyone is so invested in here. We are supporting the team, and the team happens to be this wonderful composer and his orchestra. And there was, a yeah, incredible warmth the moment you stepped off the tube. It was lovely.
2: Ghibli fo- football kit would go hard, I think.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely would.
1: <laughs> and so I haven't been to a classical performance on this scale ever I don't think there are many very many that you can have on this scale outside of John Williams perhaps Steph do, do, you, do you about to say that you had been to one with an orchestra on this size
2: well I was just thinking um because I don't think I'd been to any kind of classical adjacent stuff pre-pandemic so I think mm-hmm. my first kind of concert back was to see the Final Fantasy 7 score performed at the Royal Albert Hall mm-hmm. um that was i think one of my first like forays into that so that was quite big and then i saw hans zimmer this year at the o2 which i guess is a similar size
1: yeah okay a little bit bigger than Wembley
2: i think yeah. yeah um but a very different vibe from this i mean joji says she wasn't walking down into the crowd with an electric guitar so yeah
1: <laughs> mm, i do wonder how many could have like a five figure audience And Hans Zimmer, I guess, because he is stadium rock soundtracks. (laughs) (laughs) He could actually make that work. John (laughs) Williams and Joe. I wonder if there are many others beyond that. Because I'd seen stuff at the Barbican, Royal Albert Hall. I'd been to things in Manchester as well when I was growing up, seeing classical performances. But it's a very different vibe. But it was really still... I hadn't been to a gig this large since, since the pandemic. So it was... Really, something walking out into the seats and it being a mass of people <laughs> waiting for this performance to begin. Here's a question for you:
0: How do you feel about watching Joe Hosation eating a hot dog
1: or nachos? <laughs> mm. Yeah,
0: I guess if the, if it didn't smell as much. I think I'd be more okay with it, but uh, it was like when you've got these lovely, tender little moments in the concert, which we'll get into later. And I did notice this as soon as we walked in. It's like, oh, I'm so excited for you. oh it's the onions, and there they are, and that's going to be there all night. So, uh, so that they did that gave it its rock concert feel in a way. <laughs> and I am back at the football,
1: so maybe I shouldn't complain. You should have brought your bovril and your pie. Yeah. Oh. Imagine oh. giving Joe Horseshi a Bovril.
2: <laughs> Having a pie in the <laughs> interval would have been quite nice, actually. The interval mm-hmm. wasn't
1: very long, though. It wasn't no. um, long enough. Speaking <laughs> of which, before we get to the gig itself, the program of music, did you have a chance to see any of the merch stands on your travels? Because I didn't actually no, we see No, we went looking one. for
0: them, but we couldn't find them.
1: And I heard at the end of the night that uh, they just sold out pretty much everything. They sold, like, um, hundreds of copies of the vinyl edition of the... The thing he's just put out, the Symphonic Celebration um, album that Deutsche Grammophon have just put out, and they sold out their entire stock. And on the tube back, I saw somebody clutching two copies, (gasps) like it was their newborn child (laughs) for the trip back. But I imagine there was some on on our way in when we were getting our sort of bags searched and everything. There was um, two young women in front of me, and they opened up their bags, and it was full of Ghibli stuff. (laughs) They must have been on Ghibli pilgrimage during the day, Mm -hmm. and then somewhere in the line, someone said, oh, the merch stand, and then they went, oh, there's merch? <laughs> so I think the right crowd for as I much merch no as idea. you could throw must at must have walked yeah. past it. You were too busy yeah. with the nachos and the hot dogs. Mm. <laughs> Slamming them out of people's <laughs> hands.
2: <laughs> Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long.
1: Um, overwhelms the audience and then there's all of the tuning up and the clattering of the instruments and then a small figure walks on stage a sprightly short figure for a 72 year old man and that's Joe Hisaishi, and the concert begins so how should we do this? Should we talk through some of the set list?
2: We'll sing it all for you now
1: So (laughs) Steph's got the... (laughs) What's, I'll do the woodwind. What, You can do the woodwinds. I, I'll <laughs> clatter out the percussion. So I was surprised at the way that it was done as a programme of music. Like you had suites from each film. I hadn't really looked at set lists beforehand. I wanted to be mm. surprised. And I suppose that is the best way to do it, considering the way that these... You realise very quickly how beautifully and gracefully, and but subtly the whole program of music as a a set list shows just how diverse he can be, how poly-stylist he can be. Between the scores, they focus on different areas of the orchestra, different soloists, different tones and sounds. So I suppose the only way you could do it, rather than mixing it all up in a shuffle playlist, would be to have suites. And I did wonder, to begin with, what the route through the filmography would be sort of the way that right back at the beginning of the podcast we thought how would we go through the ghibli filmography how would you do it musically Mm -hmm. and i did wonder the first film was the first film it started Mm -hmm. with naushka and i was like what do you think that'd be chronological how would that work Mm -hmm. but i suppose we start with naushka which is i remember was that a highlight for you jake when we we did the film
0: yeah, I, li- I like Nashka a lot, and I like the music a lot. I think I read about this in the book, but I-, I love how wild that music is, that at one point it sounds like John Williams' Superman score, and it's full of kind of symphonic bombast. It's huge. And then the next it's like a Giorgio Moroder-produced Donna Summer disco remix. And I I love that about that score. And not, not to be super critical or anything and I loved what was played, I would have loved a bit of the weirdness because mm-hmm. it, it, it was a symphony and it was just an orchestra. We couldn't bring in that early synth strangeness that's there in Nausicaa and Castle in the Sky. So I would have loved to have heard that. But I thought Nausicaa was a really lovely way to set the tone. Obviously, it is the first film. You're immediately kind of nostalgic for it. Um, but it it also kind of sets you up for telling the story of Joe in a way, and that we can come in here at chapter one. And then we're going to bounce around, but we're going to foreground you here. Like this is the starting point. And so you can hear we've gone on this journey from this point. Um, so yeah, very lovely. And I think kind of establishing how the show was going to work, because none of us knew that it was going to be these sweets. And really that was how it played out. Uh, generally, each one was around 10 minutes. But then you had some shorter ones that probably came in at six and then some that stretched out to maybe 13, 15. Um, A great tone setter. Uh, But then set-wise, I would say that he he knew what he was doing and he did keep most of the hits in the pocket for the second half. (laughs) It is a game of two halves. We are at Wembley.
2: Uh... (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of... I think he saved some of the the crowd favorites for the second half. Um but I think a lot of the first half actually got me and I was thinking about some of the first half music a little bit more kind of the next day. Um mostly because he did Ponyo in the first half and I think Ponyo is so beautiful. Um did make me did make me shed a little tear, a few tears. Um and, and like also the, the full choir going, yeah. ponyo,
0: ponyo, Ponyo, fishy in the sea. And this a very serious <laughs> choir, like having to say fishy in the sea.
1: <laughs> but they they committed to it, um, didn't they? And I suppose that, that's the interesting thing is um, whether they were going to sing the English language or Japanese language lyrics. And sometimes there were the songs where they did spe- sing in Japanese. Um, and then, but for, for Ponyo, english language lyrics and they are so wonderfully daft
2: well you same- have that kind of yeah the like the silly ponyo song but then you also have that beautiful like operatic so the opening credits song for the opening yeah. credits mm. and there was a mixture of shots of the orchestra and of Joe Hisaishi obviously um, conducting but then every now and again they would play a clip from the film um, and that was a nice moment where you had those kind of lovely opening credits images playing over the top um, so, so Steph,
1: yeah. when when you saw hands, yes. did, did 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 they have clips from the film, and how did they did they sync that up in like sync sound in any way, or
2: I don't remember there being clips from the films. It was more just like the vibe, like lighting some imagery, but not necessarily full kind of scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more just like okay, we're doing Top Gun, so it's gonna be you know lasers and <laughs> some like red smoke and it's going to be awesome like that kind of vibe more than like yeah seeing clips from the film. So this was this was yeah a little bit different um just because there wasn't really that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was
1: really struck by how restrained it was. Like you'd have you get a little clip of the film just to almost situate you in the context, but it was still very much a celebration of the music. Mm. And as you say, it's not like they were performing completely to a screen of, the, of of clips from the films. I'd probably say the clips from the films were maybe even 40% of what you'd see. Mostly it would be shots of the orchestra, mm. close-ups of Joe um, when he's conducting and when he's performing on the piano as well. Mm. And it just really did put that focus on performance and a, a real atmosphere and aura of collaboration and joy in performance. The amount of times where he'd be hitting a moment in a piece of music where there's a particular, I don't know, tricky run or a little you know, flurry somewhere in, in, in the orchestra and he'd like point or look at them and he would smile and he would be clearly enjoying it himself. Mm-hmm. Um it that really struck me that even though it's taking the music and the performance of the music very seriously it's also enjoying it and in that way that Ghibli films are so well realized but there is just that element of magic that makes you want to take elements of that film and put it within your real life mm-hmm. that was there as well it made it really made it feel human there was a human touch to it that maybe if it was not to say that they would ever consider putting in lasers and smoke machines into a Ghibli performance. Mm-hmm. But it just really felt very, kind of like the Tosrow show, really well put together. Mm-hmm. But it had that human touch and human element that um feels unmistakably Ghibli.
2: Yeah, I think because when you go to see something like that, you're not going to watch clips from the film. Because you could just go and see the film in the cinema or watch it at home. Like mm-hmm. you want to see people's hands like on the instruments and you want to see the emotion that's on the like the musicians' faces when they're playing that music, um, or when they're singing it. So I think, yeah, you need to have that kind of human, human contact behind it for sure.
0: Well, and the only real um, moments of kind of technical wizardry was, I think, for one song, there was a the lights turned red <laughs> in the house, and then another song where it was just Joe on the piano, which we'll get to later he just had a spotlight and those are the only two times the lighting in the room changed Uh, and i think yeah as you said that that shows confidence but steph you you mentioned it i interrupted you but the um the wind rises which was a first half highlight Mm -hmm. which i don't think anyone really expected to have as much an impact as it did uh, because it was really understatedly introduced where you just had a a nice looking older gentleman walk onto stage and sit down and then the moment that you register, he's got a mandolin that there's just kind of a little murmur floats around the arena. You think this could only be one thing. And mm-hmm. like the wind rises is, is a lovely, lovely score and it has these big soaring moments and there's so much kind of majesty to it. But that opening, the most memorable bit of it—it's so simple and so lovely. It's so different to everything else. And we talked so much on the podcast about the European influence of Ghibli, or the European influence that Ghibli have had. And like you hear that there, you're—it's—you are transported immediately both to that film and to a sunny, beautiful European setting. And all of a sudden, it's—we've we, felt autumn coming in this week. And watching this performance did feel like you're back in the heat of summer and it's very lovely and between wind rises and porco rosso uh, they were these wonderfully simplified songs on a very big occasion and those were two of the things that really struck me
2: Mm. i'd love to know if anybody hadn't seen the wind rises though before that show Mm. and then went home to watch it because the use of clips in that was very interesting like if you'd never seen that You'd be like, this, <laughs> this is a lovely film about a man who flies a plane and it's windy, sounds great. Mm. Like, <laughs> and he, yeah, he interesting choice. Lovely girlfriend,
0: and everything works out well.
1: <laughs> well, that, that was the one that um surprised me because, yeah, w- sometimes when you have clips and they're playing a suite and you hear a bit of music and then. Because that's one where, of course, it starts off with the beautiful mandolin theme, that soaring romantic theme. And they mostly just played the romantic themes, didn't they? Mm -hmm. But there was the bit where it's them on the train and it's nice catch and the hats being blown off his head and everything. But we know what happens next. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) are they going to then go into the earthquake? What's going to go on? No, actually, (laughs) they just made it this beautiful, romantic suite. Um, And that was the one that got me out of all of them. That was the one that really gave me chills because I think that's such a beautiful piece of uh, piece of music and a beautiful film. Um, and it came hot on the heels of Kiki's Delivery Service and Mononoke, so they started with some big ones. I can't remember where the interval landed, but was it Wind Rises, Ponyo, then the interval, or was it Castle in the Sky, then the interval? I think
0: it ended after Ponyo, because that was like a nice big kind of yeah. triumphant but thing then to end
1: on. You say there wasn't much in the way of big moves, Jake, but one I did like was for Porco Rosso, where <laughs> they stri- they just stripped back the orchestra just to basically the horn section, the brass and Joe. Well, at the that's piano. what I mean
0: about, about simplicity. Yeah,
1: Absolutely simplicity. And he took off his jacket and was like, this is the mm-hmm. bit where we're in the bar. <laughs> and each of the, um, you know, the, the, the brass players got their little moment in that piece as well. Um, and as I said, yeah, it just it really shows off that there is a love of performance and instruments and music at the heart of this, it's not just the melodies. Cause we've talked about this before where like, it feels that Joe's melodies are as much a character or as much a play a role in the, uh, the success of the films. But the, 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 the concert wasn't playing it like a jukebox. Like these are just the melodies. It really did want you to almost uh, more than anything, appreciate the musicianship as well behind it.
0: Mm. Well, and for, like the, the Not pantomime, but the very kind of low-stakes theatrical staging of the event. Part of it, what made it so charming was that it was all... Going, going back to the word again, the simplicity of it, that when we saw that for one song that a section of the orchestra had been put up in the seats, <laughs> that was so exciting. And that That was... <laughs> I was like, oh my god oh how have they that like a like a like it's like the prestige where Hugh Jackman appears <laughs> up in the uh up in the rafters after using the teleportation device like, oh, how have they done it it's like well, well there was an interval and they just walked up there um but it was that that everyday magic that we so often talk about on this podcast
1: and then so the second half is where probably what they think when the believer the big hitters come out. That's Howl's Women Castle, Spirited Away, Totoro. So any comments on those three? I, I we should we should say that the as as well as the um the red shoed mandolin soloist, there were two incredible vocal vocal soloists. The two sopranos, Ella Taylor, who did some absolutely some of those high notes in some mm. of the um in, in some of the scores. They were singing that and it was just being in the presence of somebody who could sing complicated vocal lines that high was really stunning. And then Grace Davidson as well coming in on, uh, uh, on a little more human level of singing, but no less um, <laughs> astonishing as a soprano. Mm. Um, but any comments on those final few before the encore came around?
0: Um, what, so we've said on the podcast before that we're not so, we, we think Hell's Moving Castle is a kind of, is a muddled film um but this performance made me have a lot more respect for joe's ambition with the score on it because i think out of everything that we heard that was the one that went off in the most varied directions there is so much variety in that score and like merry-go-round of life the open it feels you're kind of in familiar territory like you felt like You've heard a Joe score like that, even in Spirited Way or something. But then it, it zips around, doing all manner of crazy things, which feels appropriate to, I suppose, all the magic doors of Hal's Castle opening up in all these different places and sending you out into different parts of the world. And because it, it was so compact that you had to, he didn't have the hour 50 of the film or whatever to gradually wind in between these different tracks and it had to be condensed to this suite. That one felt quite like jumbled in the best way that you really didn't know from minute to minute where it was going to go next um so yeah i didn't expect howls to be a highlight in that respect for me
2: um i'm going basic totoro was my favorite in the second (laughs) half (laughs) just so good to hear again a a jolly kids song but fully backed by an orchestra Mm. live score um, yeah it took me back to the first time I saw that film um, which was at the kind of Somerset House film for Summer Screen mm. many years ago and just not knowing what to expect never having seen a Ghibli film before and then just seeing those kind of opening credits of the the bouncing Totoro characters uh, coming across the screen just really yeah it took me back to kind of where it all began, why I love it so much, um, yeah, and just the power of like what we, you could easily brush off as like a kid's song, just being so beautiful and well arranged and well that, sung. That,
1: that's, that's the Totoro song where they really pulled out all the stops, and they all came back on stage for that. Yeah. But like they even had Hey Let's Go, the yeah. the uh, the opening credits theme, and I did wonder, having seen the Barbican show a year ago how this would compare. But of course the Barbican uses its ensemble really well and its singers it has an identity of its own. This was much more symphonic in that sense. I'll say, Jake, that like I love the synth weirdness of like the Path of the Wind theme. Um -hmm. that is that, you know I wouldn't expect Joe to get out his guitar, (laughs) run into the crowd like his hand Zimmer, banging out the the synth (laughs) parts.
0: It it did mean that we got no no lovely cat bus. The...
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> they should have got you on stage. <laughs> but that like what do you do with um, Tot- Totoro's like Indiana Jones, where there's, there is so many melodies that for everyone that is the theme tune, and so as you can you can only play so much. Um, but it was such a lovely rousing end to the concert. What we thought was the ender.
1: So so the encore um plural, of course. Several. Because this is the thing about Joe is that even within a within a you know a, 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 the the a receiving the applause, he'll bow himself, bring out the soloists, point out individual pals in the orchestra and then the chorus and then go off and then come back and then do it all over again, and then there's an encore. <laughs> um and we, we knew this from the previous night because we went on the second night that there was some, a nice surprise and he comes out with a microphone and he says that he was going to play a piece from The Boy and the Heron, uh, the new Hayao Miyazaki film that's called Ask Me Why and that was a gorgeous piano solo piece, wasn't it, or at least the majority of it was?
0: That was where I cried. Oh yeah, I I found it. Uh, I don't know. I think because it felt so intimate, because it was yeah. just on the piano and it was all of these people, and it felt because this was the, this was when he spoke, mm-hmm, as well, and mm-hmm. he spoke in in this slightly broken English, and you could feel his connection just in those short words, not just to the music and to the film, but to Miyazaki as well, and. And you could see as he was playing the piano, like his eyes were slightly welled up and there was a tremble in his fingers because he was nervous to play it. And at the Mm -hmm. end of the song, he like jokingly mopped his head because of fear (laughs) of having not played that one as much as all the others. And all of that kind of suddenly showed this vulnerability and intimacy and passion as well that, still at this point in his career and in his seventies doing this work and still being that nervous and that close to it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the combination of all of that and the fact that it's the song is beautiful. (laughs) Like it's so wistful. It's kind of, it's romantic and it's uh, yeah. Something that I, I can't wait to see in context. I suppose that was the strange thing. No one in that room knew what images to put with this and i think mm. that kind of almost added to it there was no projection that you could have behind so you had nothing to associate with so all you could do was focus on the music and it just kind of exists in the theater of the mind and uh it was yeah really it's quite something
1: Yeah, it was as you said because it was the looks on his face and the way he when he was because he, it was quite a complicated one with lots of very fast runs on the right hand, and he'd be like flexing his left hand during it, like he was cramping up because I guess he'd been performing mm. both conducting and playing piano for two hours by that point, and it was yeah, a, a, a astonishing and beautiful piece of music as you say. I can't. I do wonder if there are any of those hardcore no promo people,
2: (laughs) who stormed
1: out at that point and went, oh, he's spoiling the film for us. Toshio Suzuki said no promo.
2: (laughs) Now we know there'll be music in it.
1: (laughs) Now we know that there'll be yet another amazing Joe Hisashi score. And what was surprising then was after that encore, then he launched back into bits from films that were in the first half, which were quite surprising then. You didn't have the... um, the safety net of any clips to situate where you were he threw in porco rosso the particularly crazy um maybe suitably crazy piece that's called madness from porco rosso which is one of those it's really dynamic that piece of music almost you know it's a real whirlwind of a piece
0: oh yeah At, at this point it's like the last 10 minutes of whiplash The cameras in the stadium are, like, doing extreme close-ups on Joe's eyes. He's (laughs) gradually raising his hands, trying to get the drummer involved. Um, Everyone's sweating profusely, wondering what might happen next. And and then it just cuts to black and everyone leaves. So, so it was Porco Rosso into, and then we went back to Mononoki, which I thought was a great call because in the first half, the Mononoke so- section in the moment felt weirdly short.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, just pitch perfect, really. Um, mm. And what was amazing about the whole thing, we've said this, I think we've said this before, but I've never really, we've never felt it because we've never been to one of these concerts the great so in in these years where miyazaki has become less public and he's not gone you know he's also never really been around the world with one of his films in the time when the films have got this new level of appreciation this new generation that have found the films in the decades since the wind rises or the five years or so since they went on netflix there's been no way to publicly Express our adulation, our love to share in the joy, and so Joe is the standard bearer for that. He goes out and does these concerts, and there's nowhere you can experience the 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 joy of Ghibli with you know 11,000 people, but that's what that room was, and you could really feel this, um, even though maybe it wasn't as much as a wrestling uh, <laughs> a night of the wrestling. No kebab skewers you could you could still feel when there was though any round of applause that people were standing up they were banging the chairs they really wanted to let their emotions be heard because this is this is how to release that because we'll never get to do this to Miyazaki in public um he he you know he won't be he won't be going and um appearing on uh sunday brunch or the one show for the boy and the heron Although let's wait and see. So,
0: that would be so funny.
1: <laughs> this is the so much of the mystique and the, you know. Food the, heaven it, or
2: food <laughs> hell, I hope
1: <laughs> In some ways, the the crafted mystique of 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 Ghibli and Miyazaki is the fact that it's so rarefied and distant and on the other side of the world and reclusive. So it's such so out of the ordinary to be able to be in a public space and and enjoy that stuff. So, yeah, what what an amazing, amazing concert for that.
0: Well, and that, so everyone gave him another big hand. But Michael, there was another hand that was extended to Joe, was there not? After the concert finished.
1: Are you talking about this thing? I'm very embarrassed about. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I, would you I, like I to t- tell was us
0: what v- happened after the concert <laughs>
1: finished. I was very fortunate. I should say thank you to Rachel, um, who. Um, invited me along, and we when we got there, we found out we had backstage tickets. And after the concert... I mean, it's not like we went backstage at a Metallica gig or some some, other, some major stadium gig where there's a whole circus backstage. But we went backstage, and there was just a corridor with all the rooms. And I suppose... What would you want Joe Hisayoshi Hesse, Joe to be like backstage? He had just invited all the performers and everyone else involved just into his changing room. It was all very down to earth. He was there, leaning on the wall in the corridor with a beer, chatting away with everybody, and he did come over. I was introduced to him as a journalist, but he heard that I was German. (laughs) (laughs) And then he told me how he had just been conducting Mahler's Fifth uh, Symphony, which um, was very like i just stepped into a very different version of Tar to what was released in cinemas a year ago. Um, and I shook his hand. and I just said, thank you for the evening and thank you for the music, to quote Abba. But that was very brief. But a, I think on on behalf of the project that we've done together, but also my love of the films, that was quite a nice little moment to have with the man. Because again, we don't get the chance to to meet these people. They're, they're quite reclusive. We've tried to get him on the podcast with the Barbican show and all that. And I don't think he does much press but that was that was lovely
0: how much like Wayne's world did it feel
1: <laughs> oh the we are not worthy unfortunately my my uh, my leg had, would, had given out and I wouldn't be able to do any bowing <laughs> that evening but it did you know I, I had to you know maintain some composure I was being introduced as a serious journalist <laughs> And on either side of him, there was the uh, president of Decca Records and the president of Deutsche Grammophon. So it was quite a t- swanky conversation to be uh, eavesdropping on. So I couldn't go full fanboy, but it was um, no, it was it was really great.
0: Good, good.
1: And did you did you Actually, meet any any icons of stage and screen that evening? <laughs> on your well, one? Michael,
0: I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Uh, listeners expecting more hassashi chat can turn off now, um, but uh, Steph and I—we literally were not worthy. Uh, we we were not allowed backstage, so we went to the nearest uh, drinking hole after the venue uh, to let the traffic to the tube die down. We just thought this would be a nice, quiet point debrief. You know, have a chat. Maybe we'll get Michael on the way out. Um, and we stumble into this venue, and what do we find except Sean Williamson, otherwise known as Barry from popular English soap EastEnders, um, conducting Baroke, which is a karaoke night in which any song that you select, you go and sing with Barry from EastEnders live on stage. And It was a massive projection of the karaoke, so everyone in the venue could sing along. And I, uh, I never thought my my night would begin with Joe Haseishi and end with watching Barry from EastEnders sing "Daydream Believer."
2: He had a beautiful voice. We didn't get. He to genuinely meet him, could sing. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> he could sing. Um, but you know, listeners, if if you do want more of a deep dive into um Sean Williamson, karaoke, EastEnders, all that, do let us know. On the Discord, uh, which of course you can sign up to as a, as a patron to the podcast at patreon.com/slash-gibliotech. I'm sure that's what you want more of on the show.
1: Are you suggesting we have a library cafe?
0: <laughs> hey. hey, that's good.
1: <laughs> oh dear, yes, that's the sort of level of humour and insight you can expect on our Patreon bonus episodes. Um, go go to patreon.com/slash-gibliotech to find out. All about that. Yes, yeah, so at
0: the time we've recorded, we've just done one. that we, we went all in different directions, Michael, where we covered The Bear and Ozu and Dumb Money all in the same yeah. episode.
1: And Smoke, Sauna Sisterhood as well. So yes, a very diverse selection of screen media for us to chat about. Um, I've really enjoyed doing this podcast with you three. This is great. <laughs> we should do more on the main feed. We should do more concert reviews. <laughs> so Steph, you need to, to take us on a deep dive into wrestling as well. Next. All right,
2: I can do that. I'm watching it weekly now, so get ready.
1: <laughs> Wrestling podcasting seems like a big area.
2: I'm sure there are many. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: and Listeners, maybe you were at Joe as well. We'd love to hear what you made of the evening. We, did, we saw so many pictures from people on Twitter, but please send us uh, a note and uh, it would be great to hear how the evening went for you. You can send us uh, tweets on Twitter slash X at Ghibliotech. We're also on Instagram, Gibliatech.pod. We do have a TikTok account as well, ghibliotech.pod. There's not much on there right now, but when we go to Japan at the end of October, maybe we'll do some more while we're out there. You can also follow us all individually. You have Jake on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham and on Instagram at jake.h.cunningham.
0: You can follow Steph on Twitter at underscore Steph Watts and on Instagram at Tiger Moth Embroidery
2: and you can follow michael at michaeljleader and michael.leader on instagram <laughs> ghibliotech is produced by michael leader jake cunningham harold mcshill and steph Watts. our music is by anthony inge